You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Just want to say thank you for tuning in today. And we have a really good, just, I mean, it's in the title. It's just a really good BS session with a guy who is really passionate about hunting. And not only is he passionate about hunting, he is also passionate about passionate about sharing his passion with other people. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to keep this intro real short. It's worth a listen and you can hear it in this guy's voice, in his tone, how he addresses everything. Um, he's on the right track. So uh, we're going to run down real quick. We're going to do some commercials and then we're going to get right into today's episode. Um, Ozonics, man, huge fan of using ozone, not only in the field, but in the garage as well. When I hang my clothes up, I run a dry wash cycle. It, uh, in the stand, it distorts your profile, your scent cone, your scent profile outside of the, the stand. Uh, it cleans all the odor off your clothes. You feel fresh going in. If you want to save, or if you want a free dry wash bag with your purchase of, uh, of a unit, uh, any unit, enter the discount code NFC21. And the next one is Lone Wolf Tree Stands. You guys know I'm a huge fan of Lone Wolf. I like to be mobile. Uh, Lone Wolf allows me to set up and tear down uh, very quickly, very quietly, and be where the deer are at. Uh, and if you want to save $50 off of your purchase, any purchase over $200, you can save $50. Enter the discount code 9FC21, 9FC21. And then we have Exodus Trail Cameras, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Go check them out. Um, I love these tra- trail cameras, not only because the people who work for the company are just hardcore hunters, very passionate. So they want their products to work. They want your products to work. So they make really good products. And I can tell you that's my favorite part about their trail cameras is that they work. All you got to do is turn them on and walk away. 
and I feel confident when I'm walking away knowing that uh, they're taking pictures. So ExodusOutdoorGear.com, go check out their cameras. We have Excalibur crossbows. Um, you can go check out all of their crossbows at ExcaliburCrossbow.com and uh, just a really good brand. A, a really good people that work there it's a it's one of those companies that's been around for like 30 some years so you don't you don't have 30 some years of, of experience with any product unless you're doing something right right durable products great uh, great material to build those products great people behind the products and it all just kind of works out so um, if you're in the market for a crossbow X um, Excalibur crossbows go check them out they have uh, a new one called the twin strike my favorite broadhead period i've killed more deer with a wasp broadhead than all of the other broadheads combined so uh a jackhammer specifically i've been using uh, the jackhammer mechanical broadhead for a very long time and uh, it is one of the reasons one one of the reasons why i uh, i've had a lot of deer go in and out of my freezers because of wasp broadheads so uh wasparchery.com and use the discount code nine fingers two zero two one that's the number nine followed by the word fingers two zero two one and that's going to save you 20 percent off your purchase vortex optics again another brand that cares about one thing and that is the satisfaction of the end user of their products the quality of the product is there hands down you don't you don't get to where vortex is at in a, as a business unless you have a product that supports the claims it supports everything that they're doing not only that not only do they have badass products but they give back to the community they give back to the the hunting the industry they give back to the community and they give back to the natural resource that is the uh uh that is, is what makes all of this up so vortexoptics.com go check out their binos their range finders their spotting scopes really good brand really good products again really good people and then hunt stand uh <laughs> If you guys are in the market for a digital map app for hunting, you need to pick up HuntStand. And uh, you can say it's it's only it's only like forty bucks for an entire year, and it is one of the most robust. It is one of the most functional. It has the most features compared to any other any anything else currently on the market. So. What is it? Uh, I think there's a discount code. You can get an, an additional 20% off SN20. So SN20 gets you 20% off. And uh, again, uh, this map, like, here's the big thing they are switching out their satellite imagery, I believe, on a monthly basis, roughly a month uh, every month now so this means you are getting the most up-to-date satellite imagery nobody else is doing that so uh, hunt stand all right so we we did ozonix lone wolf uh, excalibur exodus wasp vortex and hunt stand again please go out and support those companies and lastly what are we lastly the only thing we have left to do now is just enjoy this episode with scott cronin and uh, listening, listen to him talk about uh, the, the, the passion that is behind all of us in hunting. Three, 
two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Scott Cronin, right? Cronin? Yes, sir. Scott, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Looking forward to fall being right around the corner. You're a Kentucky boy, right? Yes, sir. Western Kentucky. Okay, Western Kentucky. Now, there's pockets of Kentucky that are really good for for whitetail hunting. Is that the case for the entire state? Um, I think overall we have a excellent opportunity to harvest uh, deer in Kentucky, no matter what section of the state you're in. There's definitely going to be pockets where you're going to see some predominant use of uh, land being dedicated to agriculture, which is without a doubt going to be to the advantage of most hunters uh, for success on the aspect of the food and scouting uh, part of of their hunting but you know there's there's big deer that are coming out of uh, eastern kentucky and south central kentucky northern kentucky western kentucky and, and overall our our deer herd's been uh, been really consistent and, and it's keeping hunters happy so a lot of opportunity for for trophy animals or putting protein on the table yeah i tell you what um kentucky is creeping up on the list of places that i want to go deer hunt and uh well i've I got a couple buddies who you know they go out there every september once season once the opener hits and they try to get one of those velvet deer that you guys got running around out there and uh it 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 is you know like i get people who are like dude you should come hunt minnesota or you know northern minnesota or you should come back to michigan and i'm just like man those places are you know great but I'm from Iowa, right? And right. I, I say this with all due respect, but if I go to Michigan, I'm having to put up with a lot of things that I don't have to put up with in Iowa. Or if I go to Nebraska, or if I go to South Dakota, or if I even drop down to Missouri. So I <laughs> like I I say that with all due respect because I don't want to offend anybody, but why would you want to? You know what I mean? So Absolutely. But I say yeah. that because I hear Kentucky's a good place for to hunt, even for out of staters. It is, and, and everybody's diverse. You know, you got people that are in college, and you got people that are working, and you got people that are in the service. You got people that are in the middle of uh, their family life. You've got people that have retired, and, and Kentucky can appeal to all of those people in the early season um, for a lot of different reasons. And what everyone has to to look at and what everybody has to focus on is whenever you come into the early season to hunt you can almost put all your cards down and and play that hand uh because there's going to be so much change from september into the more of the fall pattern and and we're going to be really fortunate this year for anybody that's on the fence about whether or not they should come into kentucky to to do an early season bow hunt um, this is going to be one of those years, and here's why. We've had a tremendous amount of rain, so we've got a lot of browse. So even if you're in areas that don't have a lot of agriculture, you still have a lot of native vegetation that's going to have deer very healthy. Uh, you're going to have a lot of food sources to hunt. If you can look past this, that traditional early season, you know, uh, soybean hunt. And then as it, as it progresses and you start looking at your planning, it falls on a holiday weekend. Uh, so we're opening up the first September or the yeah first Saturday in September this year. So you can always hunt, you know, get off work, make that drive. You don't really have to worry a whole lot about uh, you know killing yourself to get there for a Saturday morning hunt. 
you could do a little scouting uh, on public ground uh, or or on private ground and and hunt Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and go home. And you know, Dan, the thing about it is, is uh, you know, we we get into this debate right now in society about all these different topics and private versus public ground. If you're willing to go and introduce yourself to a landowner and tell them that you're only going to be in town for three days and you're willing to help harvest some does or antlerless deer for that farmer or that landowner, but if you have the opportunity to kill a buck, you know, you would like to do it, most people are still going to give you the green light. You may not get access to 900 acres, but you may get access to a 35-acre field or a 9-acre field or a 5-acre patch of alfalfa, and that's that's where people like yourself and people like me have capitalized on getting out there and knocking on doors and, and talking to, to different people to get access to those areas. But then if you want to play that public land card, that's great because most of your areas that especially in western Kentucky, a lot of your WMAs are going to border up right next to that transitional area of an early season crop like soybeans, and people can get onto the public property and hunt. And at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people don't like ticks, they don't like mosquitoes, and they definitely don't like snakes. And if you take a weekend that's a little bit hot, then you've deterred a lot of people that are missing out on a on wonderful opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, we can we can pick apart uh, early season hunting in Kentucky and, uh, you know, hopefully give some people some answers to, to capitalize on that season. Yeah. I want to, I want to kind of go a different direction though. A second. All right. I want to talk about, um, uh, like what, first off, before we get, go any further, what do you, what do you do for a living? I know before we started recording, you, you kind of do a little bit of everything. It's crazy. Yeah, my, my meat and potatoes uh, is in ed- education. Uh, uh, I focus on agriculture education for both uh, high school and college students. Uh, my emphasis and, and highest interest of of topic is definitely forestry and wildlife management. Uh, definitely cover a lot of basic things in some, some general classes uh, that are almost kind of lost skills with careers and and just everyday common sense with electricity and construction. Um, but when, when the school day is over, uh, most of my time is either spent uh, advocating for conservation uh, or working with some um, different groups, NGO groups, to, to help promote education to new hunters, um, other school teachers, just to let folks know that conservation um, – is very very important and and part of conservation is is utilizing hunting as a tool so that uh, conservation can can take place and then uh, you know just field development uh, with product and doing some research and trying some things out to make sure that it's not a hashtag gimmick or a promotion uh hey i use this because someone gives it to me for free i'm really grind on some stuff and make sure that folks are getting uh, what they're paying for so it's a very unique opportunity uh i love doing it and uh yeah it's, it's very diverse and yeah. and uh and i'm a husband and, and a dad which which is a, a job that uh <laughs> some can relate to and some can't relate to but uh, it definitely affects your definitely affects your time out in the field come hunting season you got to plan and budget a little different yeah you know, so. yeah and you gotta you gotta i don't want to use the word swindle but when it comes to hunting season you gotta you gotta you gotta be a little shifty 
right? You gotta. Oh yeah, you, you gotta be a good negotiator. Yeah, negotiator. <laughs> that's what. That's the word, right? Yep. Hey, you do this for me, and I'll do this for you. Type of deal, right? So yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So education, like education background type deal, and you mentioned, uh, you know, you do a variety of different things through conservation and educating people who are maybe not educated themselves on things like conservation and hunting and shooting sports. I want to talk about archery uh, for a second, because you mentioned before we started recording that you've helped uh, in the past uh, with uh, kids and archery. And yes, sir, kids, adults, veterans. Yep. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was having a crazy day. Like one of those days, I got three kids. They were all ornery. Um, I had my wife. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Uh, she was upset with me and like, so, and I had work, right. I was behind on work and I had all these things that were just kind of snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And finally it was just like, man, I, I have, I've had enough of this today. I didn't want to say I threw in the towel, but I was stressed and I went out to the backyard, grabbed my bow and I started shooting and archery is one of those things where if you let it, you can suck at it because you're thinking about all these other things in life. But it can also completely make all that stress and all of that, uh, um, all the problems in your life completely disappear because you have to have focus to accomplish the goal of putting an arrow on a target. And Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that escape, right? It's almost like hunting, right? When when you can get away from this crazy world we live in and escape out into mother nature and have all, you know, all of it just kind of disappears. And the only thing you're left with is hearing birds chirping and singing and watching wildlife. Right. So my question to you, my question to you is of all the people that you've taught archery to maybe who have, have not been exposed to the outdoors or um, archery in general, do like, do you see a reduction of stress? Do you see like a majority of these people just not necessarily falling in love with it and becoming obsessed with it, but just enjoying it and, and being like wanting to do it more? I do. And and I see, um, to back up just a little bit, if you turn on anything right now, um, on television, if you turn on, um, you know, a computer and you're looking at your social media or you open up your phone, uh, mental health is a big awareness uh, right now in the medical community too as far as it changing. So uh, physical activity has always been important. And so let's, let's talk about both of those. With, with archery, um, yes, absolutely. You see a person who is starting to do something that is getting them physically engaged. So let's just start there. Anytime that you can use your body as a tool uh, to work a mechanical device, whether that's a bench or doing a squat or doing a push-up or pulling a bow back, you're engaging your body for a good, healthy lifestyle. You're getting your heart rate up. You're using your muscles. And, and I think all that's really important because a lot of us are in a society where we're stuck in an office or we're stuck in a house or we're stuck at a business and we're in air conditioning. Not everybody is up and down a pole being a lineman and not everybody's out here working construction and not everybody's farming. So let's just face it, a lot of America in general doesn't have a whole lot of physical activity during the day. 
Um, and this is for youth, adults, male, uh, female, uh, doesn't matter what race you are. You know, archery is something that everybody can pick up. And, and you can get instant gratification from it besides the physical part of it because the very first thing that everybody wants to do is hit the bullseye. Well, if you can just teach somebody how to hit the target and then focus on the bullseye, anybody that picks it up and likes it, they're always trying to improve themselves. And they're trying to improve themselves because they're trying to get a smaller group. Hey, I want to shoot further. Hey, I want to hit this particular dot. And it, it really doesn't matter if you look at it as far as a hunter or just an archer. It's like, why is this so rewarding? It's, it's instant gratification. So we talk about, you know, society and what's happening with people and how, uh, you know, everybody gets a trophy or how everybody, uh, you know, is, is supposed to be good at what they do. Well, archery, it's, it's just you. It's not a team. Um, you really don't have to have a coach. And, and you can kind of self-teach yourself. So I think mentally, too, you're processing things. You know, it's kind of like having the devil and the angel on your shoulder, like when you shoot. There's times that you shoot and you realize, like, man, that was great form, or, man, I'm really dialed in today, or, man, my equipment's really tuned. And then there's other times, man, you want to just, you know, you can have another little breakdown, if you want to call it that, and there's times that you just want to take your bow and, you know, run over it with the with the lawnmower or, or just sling it because you realize you're not in that groove. So I think what it does, Dan, I think it allows a person to talk to themselves. Oh, and, yeah. and then if you put yourself in an environment where – you have it, you know, whether that's a, a park that has archery equipment um, or target set up or if it's in your backyard or if you just go out to a 3D course and shoot it by yourself or with a group of friends. I, I definitely think that there is an avenue there um, where archery can help your mental health. Uh, and and to be 100% honest with you, with the, the retail side of archery, um, I think some of your companies – and some of your products that have realized that archery can be a 365-day-a-year hobby and and uh, pastime. It doesn't necessarily have to be competitive or a sport. It can be a hobby. Um, those those folks that have done that, man, they've really capitalized on the market, and, and they have regular customers. Um, when you can take a – there may be an archery pro shop near you that you utilize during hunting season – but you need to give credit back and do that. That archery shop maybe kept their doors open because seven or eight years ago, they made the business decision to promote just archery as a hobby or archery as a shooting sport. And and that's where a lot of our our small towns, if you look at what archery shops have survived and not survived, it's it's not been the hunters necessarily that have kept those doors open. It's it's been the people that have been involved with archery for multiple reasons besides putting protein on the table yeah so when it comes to archery and some of the 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 first timers that you've helped you know that you're educating and and teaching how to become archers what is their like what's their initial response to it do they do most of them get frustrated or do most of them get determined like because cause some people, they'll be like, ah, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. And then there's other people who are like, all right, I, I, I'm not good at it right now, but I, I'm, I'm determined to hit that bullseye. Okay, so if you start with the right equipment, uh, set up the right way, uh, and you educate those people, it's 100% success, period. Uh, and I can also tell you that it's better to teach people archery for example, I may need to work with your wife or your kids, and you need to come over here and work with my wife and my kids because 
the aspect of who you learn from is very important. But the response rate to enjoyment is always 100% as long as equipment set up the right way. You don't want people pulling back too much draw weight. You don't want their draw length to be wrong. You don't want them slapping their arm. You don't want to put them in something that is not tuned, it's not safe. And so if you can do all of the things to make it enjoyable, then, yeah, they catch on very quickly. And as far as their drive, the minute that they start to shoot, they'll realize, like, oh, I'm getting fatigued. Or, hey, you know, why, they'll ask a lot of questions. Why is it doing this or why does it do that? And and they want to learn. And, and the good part about it is, and, and I don't know what your background was in archery, but I was self-taught on most of my archery stuff. And I developed a lot of bad habits before I realized that I had a bad habit. So if you can take someone that you're teaching archery to and you start them young and you start them right, um, or even if they're in their midlife, if, as long as they get those basic principles, the minute that we stop worrying about how many grains the arrow is or mechanical or fixed blade broadheads or drop away or you know this side or that side or, or whatever all that stuff is, they don't pay attention to that. They don't pay attention to it like a lot of your hunters do. So when you introduce archery, People aren't brand loyal. They, they, they don't have any uh, type of biased or unbiased opinions on anything yet. They're yeah. new. They're fresh. And so um, you get to work with them, and you get to see that success. And, and at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is, uh, is opportunity. And it's an expense. That's, that's going to be your biggest thing as far as what I see in getting people introduced to archery is – Okay, they may shoot a bow that's provided to them at a camp, or they may shoot a bow that's provided to them at a conference or whatever. But when when they leave there, I mean, for your question, when people leave an event after they shoot archery for the first time, and then they go turn around and drop five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars in an archery pro shop the week after they leave, I think that's pretty successful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What about? Um... I don't know. Do you have any experience with teaching kids uh, or adults that don't have access to, you know, maybe they can go to a, a place and buy a bow or get a used bow and have the equipment to buy archery equipment, but not necessarily mm-hmm. use it, let's just say, in an urban setting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of your places across the United States now, it's going to be really important um, to have some type of information on where, you know, where would I go as a parent or where would I go if I'm a a new hunter? And so a lot of uh, opportunity is out there and a lot of our communities and States, there will be offices that are known as like conservation education uh, programs, or there will be some type of educational facility where, you know, you may go in there and there may be snakes and and, uh, invertebrates and and different types of fish on display. But in the back, you know, they've probably got some archery equipment because that building wasn't put there, that complex wasn't there just to teach archery 365 days a year. A lot of your states have archery coordinators. Um, You're going to have a lot of different organizations out there that are going to have equipment that, that can utilize a lot of those are going to be tied to the NAS program, but there's so many ways, whether it's Boy Scouts or 4-H or some type of environmental club that parents and adults can go to and just speak up and say, Hey, look, I, I want to shoot 
and I need some equipment. And the other part of that is, too, is most any of your bow shops uh, will work with you for, you know, 10 days, two weeks, whatever. Say, so, hey, is there some bows in here that we can maybe set to my draw length and, and I come in here and practice because I'm, I'm in the process of, of trying to learn how to start with this archery hobby or sport. And I do plan on buying a piece of equipment. So, um, you know, I think a, a pro shop owner also on that aspect is, is a lot more willing to help a customer that goes in and tells them right off the bat that, hey, I'm here to, to shoot a few different pieces of equipment because I want to make the best choice. Versus me or you walking into a, a bow shop and, and uh, shooting four or five different flagship bows just to see which one we like the best when we know that we're not going to buy any of them that day. You know, we're, yeah. we're wasting that, that shop owner's time. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people in that listen to this particular podcast are already outdoorsmen. They're already archers. So they know that, you know, they know all this stuff already. Right. I mean, I know, uh, like, I think the main question for the people who are listening to this episode would be like, how bad do we need mentors as far as educators, someone to go outside of their normal life and help others maybe learn archery or learn how to shoot a gun or, or take someone hunting? Like what, like walk us through how you, maybe how you became uh, involved as a mentor or an educator and why is it important for guys like you and me and maybe someone listening to maybe follow down that uh, trail as well? Right. So, um, I'm, I'm very blessed in, in, uh, what I've been able to do in the last 20 years, especially, um, mentors are always needed. Um, mentors are needed for all age levels of people. And so the reason why that is so important, um, especially with archery and, and, and the sport of hunting is because, it's easy to grab a soccer ball or a tennis racket or a baseball bat or what it, it's easy to pick up those sports because it's fairly inexpensive and everybody does it. Um, it seems like every place that you turn, you could find somebody that will put a kid on a team. Uh, archery and, and hunting in general though is different on the aspect that it takes. Um, even as, as simple as we can make it, it still takes a lot to, to get someone set up and it takes a you know a target a place to shoot it takes a bow it takes someone making sure that it's set up right and none of these things are really cheap um even though we can break it down when we look at it with a realistic aspect it's a major undertaking and to mentor people uh, it's going to take a lot out of your time and you're going to have to sacrifice something and and you're going to be paid and rewarded uh with success after time there's going to be some instant gratification there's going to be some stuff that takes a little bit longer to develop but but what can you do or, or why should we do it um me and you have both been up and down on the roller coaster ride of you know what hunting is or what it means to use this brand or that brand or, or what it means to help promote this product or that product i think the reason why mentoring is so important is to get back to the basics and i think it's it's very important that when we advocate for a certain brand of bow or a certain arrow or a certain 
sight or a certain broadhead or, or, or target, whatever it is that we're doing, a stance, our form, we're doing it from experience. And our experience allows for our true passion to be carried over to people right. when we educate them. Right. And it, it, it makes the logistics of it a whole lot faster. So all I'm saying is I will admit that early in my career – of whatever I do or whatever you want to call it, or, or early in my experience as a hunter, there was things that were very fatty. There's things that are very fatty now that are just, they're going to go away. But when we start and we mentor people, we can teach basics. For example, I don't care what Brambo Dan Johnson shoots, and I don't care what Brambo I shoot. But what I do care is that my equipment is dependable and it's ethical. And that's where when you mentor as a person who is a hunter, you can start to instill the people that, hey, listen, I'm teaching you from mistakes I've made. Like, you don't need to shoot at 45 yards, right? You need to keep those shots at 25 yards and under. Or, hey, you don't need to worry so much about what color your fletching is or what degree offset you have as much as you need to focus on your form. And so when we start and we work with these people, you, you've got to realize that you're not going to – you can mentor someone for an hour, okay, or you can mentor someone for a year or five years or ten years. So the thing that you got to consider is when you ask someone, well, what's the process or what's the set that you mentor? you just got to be honest with yourself before you help a little kid or before you help a veteran or before you help a female or whoever it is. Like, man, how much time am I going to devote to them? Because you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to get their interest so peaked up and, and they're all excited, and then you can't be there to fulfill their needs. Yeah. So when you do mentor, make sure that you have some realistic goals, figure out kind of what your budget's going to be, figure out what your what your end goal is that you're trying to produce. Are you trying to – are you mentoring a kid so that they can get up there in a the deer stand and, and maybe, you know, kill their first deer at 25 yards and in? Or are you sitting there just trying to teach a kid, hey, this is a sport – and you're going to do it in your backyard, and you're going to do it because it's going to teach you focus and concentration. So there, there's going to be different things along the way. But one thing that I can tell you as a mentor um, in the process of going through it, if you work with kids or you work with adults, I mean, people that work with me and you, if, if we go somewhere and we're going through a training, the minute that you run out of stuff to do is the minute when chaos starts. So when kids get bored, when adults get bored, that's when they get rowdy. So have some set objectives, have some set times. You know, if you can devote 15 or 20 minutes, do that. And then how do you get started? You can start working with uh, with with one person, one-on-one. -on -one. Just, hey, if you'd like to like shoot a bow sometime, let me know. We'll, we'll go down to the shop or you can come over to the house. It may be that you volunteer with a local archery club. Uh, it could be that you work with a... Um, NGO that's in your area. Maybe they're having some type of Annie Oakley Day for the females, or maybe they're having some type of youth event on the aspect, and and you can volunteer. Maybe you can be there just to pull, you know, arrows out of targets uh, for the Boy Scouts for a week, or maybe you can go and help wax strings or or put some cables and 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 strings on, and maybe you can make a hundred dollar donation. Maybe you've got a bow that you don't use any longer that wouldn't bring much money online that yeah. you could give to someone that that would be a, a perfect piece of equipment to start with so it, it's a really broad um 
you know, thing to answer when it comes to how do you mentor. But the main thing is you've got to give your time, you've got to have patience, and you've got to figure out what your goal is be, before you, you step off onto that platform. But it's it's very, very, very rewarding, and there's endless opportunity, whether you contact uh, state agencies, NGOs, or, or coaches that are already in place working with, with people. It's uh, you just you got to speak up. Yeah. Like, what can I do to help? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, I, I think I talked with some guys from the National Deer Alliance. Uh, or, yeah, the National Deer Alliance now. No, National Deer Association. That's the new uh, word, uh, name for those guys. And I've worked with them and, and done some stuff uh, with and for them. And, um, you know, they mentioned that, like, being a mentor isn't just, like, a one-year thing. Right. It's like, hey, I'm going to give all my attention and then I'm going to back off. I've seen a lot of people do that. It's almost it's almost like for show. Right. Oh, look at what we're doing here and we're mentoring people. But I haven't seen any follow through Mm -hmm. on year two uh, or year Mm -hmm. three or whatever like that. In your opinion, when it comes to and we can transfer this over to hunting mentorship um, to hunting. And if you want to talk about archery, you can, too. How many years do you feel that it takes um, for a mentor to dedicate to maybe a group of people or a single person in order to get them to realistically join the club of whatever hunting or shooting or archery that they're, that you are currently mentoring in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would just, I think that four year period is, is good. Um, if you look at it as far as, um, let's take it, uh, let's take a youth first, um, whether they're in middle school uh, transitioning into high school, um, or if you're even taking someone who is uh, just really, really green that didn't grow up around the hunting community, I, I think three to four years is a is a good time to just start talking about everything. You know, uh, not just the archery aspect of it uh, with form and equipment, but you know, you've got to teach all these different things uh, about the biology of the species and what they're going to hunt and You've got to have some years of experience. Anybody that says that you can do it in year one, they're crazy because at 43 years of age, I'm already excited and, and jacked up about this deer season to try things that I've learned from the past 25 years that come to me, you know, just from thinking about how last season went. But when you work with these people and, and you do get them involved with archery and then you transition them over to hunting, um, there is a there's a learning curve there. You know how high do you set your stand? How do you how do you rig a stand? And how do you do it safe? And and I'm not talking about every single day going out there and and yeah. giving a lesson or teaching a program. I'm just talking you know a Saturday here, an evening here, you know uh, two or three days here on a little break. I think that three to four year mark's really good. Now you start getting into an adult, uh, and you start getting into let's say someone who was in the service or someone who is uh, middle age and, and they're wanting to focus on it. I think it's I think it's about a two-year, two-and-a-half-year um, process, and here's why. Those people have a driver's license, and they're, and they're able to research, and they'll go to a show or go to a convention or, or do whatever, and, and they'll educate themselves. And a lot of times when people start at a later age, it's not forced onto them. They've wanted to do it, where maybe – if you or I work with a child, we're like, man, we would love to pass on what we love to do to you because you're a child. So it's a little bit more, I feel like it's a little more forced when we work with youth. 
because dad or uncle or so-and-so wants them to get involved. But when you start working with an adult, they're a little bit more hungry for it on the aspect that you may not work with as many people, but the people that are coming to you, your student is a lot better quality. You're not dealing with a general youth group. You're not dealing with a church group. You're not dealing with a scout group where some of them are going to like it and some of them aren't. And so it's more individualized instruction. And then with that driver's license and, and different things going in and out of pro shops and going to um, your different conventions and, man, the power of YouTube and podcasts now of how people can learn and how they can educate themselves, uh, it's unbelievable. So if you look at that that market or that target student, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a little bit faster. And, and the, the best part about that group is, is – um, Unlike me or you, um, if we consider ourselves quote-unquote old school, uh, we may be a little secretive about our um, our hobby, our passion, our lifestyle um, of hunting, uh, and even some stuff if we're competitive in archery, we may be kind of quiet to give us the edge. Man, those people that start a little bit later in life, they're, they're glowing. I mean, they're yeah. wanting to share it with everybody, and they become fantastic mentors. Um, and the other part of it is to, um, in the end, the older you are, most of the time people are a little more established with their, with their budget and, uh, it's a little easier to teach or tell a 30 or 40, 50 year old man or woman what they need to buy an equipment versus me mentoring a kid and walking up to their, their dad or their mom or, you know, grandparent or whoever's raising the guardian saying, Hey, Hey, they're moving right along now. Let's go down here and spend $1,200 at the pro shop, you know? So, um, it's a it's a it's a budget it's a business you know archery is a business um it's a passion it's a sport uh, but but what isn't you know i mean yeah. anything that you look at it there's got to be some economic revenue and there's got to be education there's got to be marketing so um it's it's fishing for bigger fish man when you work with adults i mean you, you know you're trying to uh, go out there and and catch a little bit bigger fish when you deal with that 20 year old plus group and uh, when you're working with the kids, you're you realize that you're kind of sticking to the basics of, uh, you know, it, as long as we catch a fish, we're we're successful, right? And right. archery's kind of the same way. It's it's about that action and activity. So right, all right. So um, one thing, uh, it's hard for me, and I as a dad who is very passionate about hunting, and I learned this firsthand during turkey season this year that. My passion for hunting and the outdoors is not at the same level that my kids are at. So we, we have, and I've fallen under this category before, and I've learned to kind of back off at certain points uh, because I, I want to enjoy the outdoors so bad with my kids that maybe I put a little bit of pressure on them to come outside and, mm-hmm. and, 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 Hey, you want to watch me shoot my bow or do you want to go shoot your toy bow or, or let's go check mm-hmm. trail cameras or let's do all these out, you know, let's go Turkey hunting with me and all these things. And they're not quite there yet. Right. I can see a little bit mm-hmm. of a spark in it. Um, almost to the same as sports, right? When I was a kid, uh, not so much in football, but my dad was a decent uh, baseball player. Uh, and he wanted me to, you know, do really good at baseball to the point where it was a little bit of pressure. And eventually I just was like, screw it. I'm done. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't care about baseball anymore type, type of deal. And so, 
yeah. So my question, yeah, my, my so, question is how, what would you say to parents who really do want to want their kids who are passionate about the outdoors, but like, don't burn your kids out on it. Yeah. So the, uh, I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth. I'm, I'm a father too. And, uh, you know, the, the very first thing is, is there needs to be a support group for Dan Johnson's and Scott Cronin's. And <laughs> I need to, instead of saying I'm an alcoholic, I, I need to say, Hey, I'm, I'm addicted to, to bow hunting. You know, I'm addicted to the outdoors. Um, you know, you've, you've made a huge career move. Um, you've had some life changing events like getting married and having children just like I have. And the ones that are out there listening that haven't experienced that yet, um, just there's nothing we can say and tell them to brace them for what's to come and the change yeah. to come, but it is a change. Um, and it's not always a positive change. Um, sometimes you got to reprioritize things. So, when I look at parents, um, when I was younger, and not, not that I'm old now, but when I was younger and I was really being brought up and had some great mentors that took me under their wing to truly understand and know what marketing and retail and wholesale um, is in hunting products and outdoor recreation, um, the, the very first thing that I learned from all of those men um, – and women and it didn't matter if we were drinking sweet tea and eating a salad or if we were drinking some of the finest liquors that man can put to his tongue with a big fillet all of those people always would take the time to remind me that never let your passion for hunting and the outdoors and marketing and sales never let that trump your family and if I listen to one thing time after time after time again, and this is people that were working for the largest names in the business, they all reminded me, you'll never get that time back with your kids. You'll never get to raise your kids again. You can always promote a bow. You can always work for an arrow company. You can always advocate for a trail camera company. You can always find footwear companies that will work with you to help promote their business but you'll never get the opportunity to bring back four years old or six years old or 10 years old or 11 years old and i listen to all these people because these are people that were self-taught college educated um been through divorce uh had great marriages i mean it, it, they were from all states um, they were from all economic levels of what they made and how much experience they had but so that Let's focus on that just for a minute. We, we've got to raise our kids, okay? Right. Now, what our kids do uh, and, and, and what our kids do should be somewhat of a negotiation and collaboration with our spouse. And, you know, where where do we go with this? Well, it may be, and, and I'm going to tell you this, and, and you can take it or leave it. I think when our kids see mom and dad both doing it, I think it's a whole lot more sticking and a whole lot more um, engaged with getting that hook set, getting that barb really tucked in there. When they see mom and dad both doing it, and they're both outside or they're both on the range, they do it. But if they have the option to sit inside in the air conditioning and stay on that iPad or cell phone or some type of digital gaming device and and have the TV on, while dad's out in the yard shooting, you've lost. You've lost. 
Yeah. It's got to be. And it's not saying that you've got to, it's not saying that every single time you got to do it, but you got to, I may shoot five nights a week. And my wife may come outside and shoot with me one night a week or once every month. But then that's family time with archery, right? And and then when we go to check trail cameras or we go to hang or, or set stands, um, if mom goes, then then mom's mom's there. And the other thing is too, um, it, is there's 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 going to be certain places when you take them outdoors. Like if you've got two great big, you know, Boone and Crockett deer that you know are bedding in this thicket, you're probably not going to want to take your kids there to hang a set. But if you got a spot and you're going to shoot a couple does, or you got a new farm, you don't know if the next world record's on or not. Man, you got to load up the four wheeler, the side by side. I mean, you got to have the juice, you got to have the Cheez Its or the goldfish, <laughs> and you, you know, you, you got to have it. And, and mom's got to go, and you can't worry about scent control. You, you need to worry about tick prevention, and all that stuff. But you know, you need to you need to make it a fun event. But um, on your question. Um, where I learned the most from listening to these professionals in the industry to never forget to raise your kids and how important that is. They, they all had kids that they wanted to hunt fish and I've, I've worked with thousands of children and in hundreds and hundreds of parents that ha- have hunt and, and fish and they're outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen and their kids don't like it. And here's why they, they pushed it on them too hard and yeah. they, they made it to where Oh, I got to do it. Like, and so I don't want to get in trouble and I, and I know it's going through public broadcasting and all that, but, um, a little, little sarcasm here. We all know that kid that when, when we were growing up, man, their parents were just really, really strict on them. Right. I mean, like, man, they couldn't get away with anything. And the minute they get away, what do they do? They drink and party harder than any of us that are away from our parents. And it's it's almost like a rebellion, you know, type right. attitude that they, they take. Well, it's kind of the same way with this hunting and fishing. You can go and buy your kid a great bow and awesome outfits and find them a little small tree stand made for little people and, you know, put them in all this fancy gear. But if you force it on them, then, then they're burnt out. And the, the other part of it is, too, is the, the parents that put the more pressure on the kids, like, the ones that don't allow them to shoot a spike or, or shoot a little four corn or shoot a little button buck, I'm telling you, there's a lot of parents I've seen that they, they put their kids in. I mean, they're, they're sitting out there on a salad bar food plot, and they're sitting in a spot that the odds are just, they're beyond good, you know. And 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 then the, a kid kills a great big deer at a young age, you know, if they are successful. And let's just take it, for example, of, of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of kids in high school, Dan, that are killing 135, 150-inch deer every single year when they're young. And then they go to college, and let's just face it, that they, uh, they're they off the nipple a little bit, if you just want to put it that way and get real straightforward. And then they got to go do it on their own, and they don't they don't have that perfect hunting scenario. <laughs> and 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 they were they've killed a ton of big stuff, you know, trophy animals or whatever you want to call it. They killed a lot of turkeys, a lot of deer, a lot of ducks, but they can't do it on their own because you know all they they're killers. They're not hunters. Right. They were never taught. And so I think when you work with your kids, you gotta you gotta make it cool. I mean, I think you need to take them down to the stream and and teach kids how to catch crawfish. I think you need to take kids and I do think that you need to have kids on the side of a farm pond with a Rambo knife and cutting up a bluegill to make catfish bait out of it. I think 
I think it's important that they learn and explore and, and do all these things. And it's important that kids get poison ivy for the first time and they get a tick bite and, and they have to fight off mosquitoes. And, and they, they learn how to enter that environment and be prepared for it. And we develop them into good hunters and we do it with adults too. But we can't force it to an extent. Uh, we all have to get involved. Uh, it has to be a family ordeal. And in this world with as many grandparents and divorced uh, households as we have, that's a that's a tough equation. Uh, but perfect scenario, if, if the whole family can get involved, uh, it works out really, really well. And there is a point where you have to just take your kids and do it. And then there's also a point where you just you cannot make it. Uh, they're not going to go out there for a 12-hour, 14-hour day like me and you and um, and enjoy sweating uh, so much that your go bomb makes a biscuit when you drop your boxers <laughs> at the end of the day. Just to just to be honest with you, you know, like we got it. We got to make sure that uh, we got to make sure that the temperature's right. We got to make sure that the snacks are there we got to make sure that we're going to do some fun. Maybe we'll shoot a 22 or maybe we'll take our ball along with a bent arrow. And, you know, we may, we may stump shoot something. Um, you know, we may take a pellet gun or a BB gun along and, and shoot an old pop can and then pick it up and put it in the back of the, the backpack or something to teach him that we left the place better than, than we found it and, and, uh, and do those things. And the other part of it is, um, get their friends involved. Um, when you work with kids, uh, when you work with women, when you work with men, uh, prime example, if seven or eight kids are there, even though it can create more chaos, if seven, eight kids are there, um, sometimes they can enjoy it just a little bit more than if it's just this one-on-one and, and change it up. You know, like, you know, you could come here and, and I take one of your kids and you could take mine and, and like, Hey, I'm going hunting with Dan, you know, cause Dan's different, you know? Yeah. And, and your kids going hunting with Scott and it's different. And they like that. They like different. They don't see a parent They you know who they see, they see two big burly men, you know? And they're like, Oh, he's cool. You know, because you can pick and do things with my kid and I can pick and do things with your kid. And it's not dad. It's, it's someone else doing it. So you gotta, you gotta swap that up a little bit. Um, you know, you've got to realize, and people have to realize, that um, there is no book out there that teaches anybody how to develop the perfect hunter. And there's no book out there that teaches anyone how to be the perfect archer. It's it's all about just, man, it, it, you stump your toe, you you move on. And, and what you may learn from one child, you can, as a mistake, you can make sure not to make that mistake with, with the next child in line. Um or mentoring a, a young adult, but just don't force it. And, and before you know it, um, you know, they're wanting to go out there and, and do things and, and uh, making it fun. You know, the kids love mixing stuff up, right? YouTube, they love making slime. They they love making um, all of these different things. It's people that make money from kids unwrapping toys and kids watching that on YouTube. Well, let them unwrap some type of deer mineral or let them mix up some type of potion like you give them all the stuff you know and and make it fun for them like hey you want to you want to mix this up for me or make me some type of uh of deer food you know and like yeah you know and like you want to call some of your friends over and do it yeah and like you want to y'all hey y'all want to go and like go on a picnic and and ride the ride the side by side and go put out your deer potion yeah but if you just walk up to your kid and like hey brat you want to go with me it's 98 degrees outside and we're going to sweat and there's ticks and mosquitoes and snakes 
they say no like, well you're going anyway grab your stuff let's go you know you can't throw a you can't throw a sippy cup back there in a bag of goat fish and think that today's going to turn out yeah. with success so yeah you got to be creative man <laughs> and um you got to be creative and yeah. and uh I'll, I'll brag on you um you know you're 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 cooking you're podcasting you're youtubing you're you're fathering you're spousing um and at some point in time at the end of the day uh you know, when people listen to your podcast and it's 1130 at night and you talk about getting your thoughts together, um, you're a go-getter, Dan, and I am too. And there's a lot of go-getters out there. And um, our drive is different than other people's. Our personality is different than other people's. So um, I'm the world's worst for taking advice sometimes, but sometimes our wives, um, they know us a little bit better and direct us a little bit more than, than sometimes what we want to admit to. Um, so when people say, "Hey, you're too hard on them," or "Hey, you didn't," you know, we need to we need to listen to those folks that are around us because they see it through another set of eyes too. So um, be willing to take constructive criticism. Yeah, and um, you know that's a that's that's a big thing. But I I appreciate everything you do. Um, you know, with advocating for you know your nutrition and and your health and you know whether that's um, dropping a little bit of weight to be you know more efficient in the field. Uh, whether that's you know going out there and realizing like hey i am doing too much hanging hunt i need to slow down just a little bit or you know your techniques when you talk about man i hate hunting field edges you know but uh you know you still try it and you still adapt and and uh, you're open-minded you know even though you've got your style you're open-minded and that's going to be the deal with uh with working with your kids and working with other kids and it, it goes for me and everybody that's listening you just you got to go into it and uh You've got to go into it with uh, being very flexible, very patient, and uh, you're going to bite your tongue off and stitch it back on several dozen times. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one thing that I uh, got a kick out of when you said those those youngsters who shoot booners, you know, within the first couple of years of, of hunting and their mom and dad put them on something and, and they get, they, like, where do you go from there? It, it's crazy to me. You don't. Like, you, yeah. It's a disaster. I, I feel like it's, those. It's a gateway drug to leading into a non-hunter. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, if people want to talk about kids and youth and drugs and alcohol abuse, I tell you what, you let a kid go shoot a 156-inch deer. Now, here's the thing. If a, if, a, if a child has the opportunity to do that, I'm not saying don't do it, but that shouldn't be the exception or the expectation every year for a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kid. It just shouldn't. It sets them up for disaster. And and here's the good thing about America. I can argue with someone and still be friends with them later that day or after that argument. We we got to stop getting our panties in a wad about well this or that. You, you got to realize there's 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 arrogance. In this industry, there's arrogance in any industry. There's arrogance in any sport. But when when people ask me, not being arrogant, what screws up kids more than anything? Two things. Equipment, number one, not being right, okay, along with the conditions. And then the second thing is, is teaching young people to only shoot, quote, unquote, what you would consider a trophy record book animal okay so um it, you know we all live in this world that we can have our beliefs and we can have our mindset and our philosophies but if a kid is hunting with you 
and you're the local hero or you're traveling across the whole nation and traveling into other countries and you're killing Pope and Young stuff and Boone and Crockett stuff with your bow, great. If your kid wants to shoot a little bitty basket rack buck, I don't care what any association or organization says about deer management. If you've talked with your kid prior to that hunt and you've told him, this is why we shouldn't shouldn't shoot a button buck, or this is why we shouldn't shoot this age group of buck once you're at my age. But at your age, if you're wanting to try the quest of harvesting an animal lethally and, and taking an ethical shot with your equipment, then it, it may be okay that we shoot a Jake or we shoot a button buck or you know I, and, and here's the thing, if you're in a target rich environment with a kid Maybe you can wait it out a little bit longer, but if if a if a father, an uncle, a mother, a a, a, a brother, a cousin, whoever has the opportunity to take a family member out, or it's your neighbor kid, if if for one minute people would slow down enough and be like, man, I I know it's really not really good to take out that eighty six inch deer that yeah. has got all kinds of potential. I know, I know it's going to hurt me. You know, two years from now, I could kill that deer and it'd be really nice. But man, this could be the deer that gets this kid absolutely hooked for life. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. I've hunted with kids of all colors, all races, all backgrounds for 25 plus years. And if we're on a turkey hunt, I swear to you, it doesn't matter if that kid kills a bearded hen, a jake, a big gobbler. If you take them hunting with archery equipment or a farm, it doesn't matter what type of size or measurement it is for most of these kids on what I consider their their rookie years. Yeah, they're happy. We put too much stress on ourselves, and I and I guarantee you, I can prove to you, there's men out there and young boys that will never be men that are afraid to post a picture of their kid shooting a dink. Because they're a trophy hunter, or they've, they, they've got a resume of killing big animals. Yeah. Well, you know what? Swallow your pride. Don't worry about this organization or that organization or this management practice or whatever. At, at some point in time, and you'll know this as a father, at some point in time, you get it. And it's no different than on Christmas that you sit there and you laugh. And sometimes you can just you can you can laugh out of frustration or, or laugh in reality. It's like we just bought a kid a three hundred dollar toy, or Santa Claus just dropped this off underneath the tree, and here's my kid over here playing in the box that it comes. Yeah, we forget we forget so much, and and we've got to remember that it's really important that we make it fun, we make it educational, and in the end. My, my job and, and my passion and my objectives and goals is not to take a kid hunting to kill a deer this weekend. My goal and my objective is to take a kid out into where it's their lifestyle just like it's mine. Yeah. And and in the end, that's that's what's important. So um, you take a soldier, you take a kid, you take a, a new adult hunter out in the woods, and, and um, you know, they've got that battle going on with work or they got that battle going on with a bad marriage or they've got a sick parent or – you know, they've got some financial stress on them, uh, whatever it is. Um, when you can show people how to channel things and how to get uh, 
a good feeling inside themselves, like where we started at with, you know, why is archery, you know, so good for things. When you can find people and you can teach them how to do something that makes them feel better about themselves, and then you teach a skill that they can put, in my opinion, some of the best protein on their table and help keep our world a cleaner place and improve habitat and have an appreciation for the environment and, and you develop that that's yeah. a that's a huge reward that's a and win that's somebody that's going to take that and and they're going to be you know they're going to be a conservationist they're going to be an advocate for hunting and they're going to be that way for a long time and and dan the thing that's so rewarding about working with people the right way is is when you when you sit down and talk to them they're they're not throwing out this brand that brand or they're like hey look at this buck that i killed with my bow you know like they're not saying you know hey i use this arrow and this broadhead and this bow and if it wasn't for this bow string and 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 here's the deal you're blessed and i'm blessed to have products you're you're blessed to have people to pay you to use your products and so am i but i damn sure would never use them now if i didn't believe in them yeah and and you have matured i have matured and when we took our hunter ed class you remember there's like those stages of a sportsman like there's the limiting out stage and there's the method stage and I, well well now you and i and a lot of others are out there and we are in that sportsman stage and, yeah. and we're in that bs stage too like we're, we're done with the bs like it's either it's either legit or it's not in the same way with a product when, when people listen to a podcast and, and they see a television show and they see a, an ad or a marketing or whatever, there's a lot of people like Dan Johnson and Scott Cronin and whoever else that only use a product because of the fact that they believe in it. And are we fortunate enough that that helps put tags in our wallet and gas in the vehicle and, and pay for food and, and being away from home? Absolutely. But I won't sell myself out. Yeah, and I won't sell I won't sell anything out to a kid or a new hunter either. You know, I want them in the right product. I, I want them to use equipment that works. I want them to harvest what they're happy with. I want them to be legal. I want them to start understanding why we have age structures of deer and why we have regulations on how many ducks we can kill and what species. And I want them to understand all the aspects of the game and the non-game parts of conservation. I want them to realize how much of a right it is in this country to have public and private lands and to have choice and freedom on how you hunt or where you hunt and, and stop, stop having so much hate in the world and, and, uh, and critiquing, you know, when we work with these kids, it's very important that, uh, we let them know that, that, uh, that they're proud of, of killing that dink or killing that booner, you know, and, and they, they, they harvested or killed that animal because they wanted to, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and they, they earned it. That's, that's the other thing. They truly earned it. Yep. And, uh, when they, when they get to that point, um, it's great, but it's, it's no different than baseball or basketball or anything else that you or I have experienced over the years. There's, there's some parents that will throw the funds to a kid that, uh, you know, absolutely just doesn't have the talent to play the sport. And there's always going to be that coach uh, because, uh, you know, he, he wants to make sure that his son has or daughter has the, the best opportunity. And there's always going to be that coach that is not the best coach. They're just playing their kid. And, yeah. and to uh, 
to close out on it, on, on working with youth and kids, um, I don't know if you do this or not, but I laugh when I watch the basketball tournaments or I watch the World Series or I watch the Super Bowl on TV. I'm always amazed at how many people are yelling at the TV at a local pub or bar or inside their house, yelling, telling them how they need to coach the game or how they need mm-hmm. to play it or what they need to do. And, and those people never played the sport. Right. They never even played the sport. And and I, and I think that's that's another aspect on this archery and hunting thing that we gotta we gotta take into consideration is sometimes you gotta knock all the noise out. You gotta walk away from the crowd and you gotta go to that backyard with mom, dad, the kids, the target, and next thing you know, you're probably buying a metal detector because you're trying to find lost arrows that are buried <laughs> underneath the grass. You know? That's a fact, man. That's funny. Oh boy. Well, Hey Scott, man, I really appreciate the time you, uh, took out of your day today to hop on the podcast and, and chat with me a little bit. Kudos to you for, uh, the amount of time that you, uh, put into, you know, educating others on the, I guess, outdoors and shooting sports and all that stuff. So thank you very much for your time. Good luck this upcoming season. Keep me posted and, uh, we'll get you on again. Yeah, no problem. And just remember, you're you're always welcome here anytime. So we'll uh, we'll see you soon, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Scott. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the podcast. And those are Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Exodus and Excalibur. Please go out and support those brands. They support me. And when you, uh, when you support the brands that support me, then it's full circle. We keep these partnerships going. It keeps my lights on and, uh, I can continue to put out badass content like this. So thank you guys very much. Enjoy mother nature, get outside. Uh, and man, I don't, I don't mean this in the wrong way. It's time to kill something like it is. It's almost time. So uh, I got another hunt coming up in October, heading to South Dakota for mule deer, and then it's Iowa whitetails after that, baby. So uh, I'm getting I'm getting jacked. I'm getting my equipment ready. I'm getting mentally ready. I'm getting my family mentally ready for my absence. So uh, again, good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you.